Well, hello to everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Marketing Meanders. A very Merry Christmas, Happy New Year uh, to everybody out there, to all our listeners. And we hope that you're all looking forward to 2021 and all of the exciting new things that will hopefully offer us all, including a vaccine for this horrible pandemic, uh, which, of course, is starting to roll out now. So fantastic news there. And uh, hopefully some exciting new marketing meanders for all of us to enjoy in the new year and new opportunities and possibilities as uh, the world hopefully starts to write itself but uh, as we promised we said we'd do a nice little compilation of some of our interviews over the past few months we were on the 21st of December three months old that was the uh, the shortest day and uh, we hope we'll still be here by the time of the longest day in 2021 uh, of course if everyone listens and hopefully shares what we've got here uh, for you to listen to then that would be wonderful and uh, Sally and I would would love to continue giving you these uh, these episodes and, and enjoying talking about marketing and other aspects of our, our roles and relationships and and careers and and it's all good fun and as I say this compilation we've got here today is uh, a number of our um, uh, guest interviewees who we had over the last few months in fact it's all of them it's a at least one snippet from each of these very good interviews which we enjoyed over the last period and uh, I'll break it all down for you but uh, we will have uh, Toby Rowe to begin with, and uh, followed by James Holden, and then Hugo Pickering. Uh, we then have Emma Wyatt and Amanda Claysons, Barry Clark, and Stephen Thomas to uh, take up the uh, the last part of our special today. And uh, I'll be introducing each section as it comes up, and I'm sure it will be an awful lot of good fun. I really hope you enjoy it. You'll get some a nice little collection of snippets of insights. And as I say, if you enjoy it, please let others know. Let them know uh, the little insights and tips that you've gained. And uh, if there's anything that you want to talk to us about on the back of this, then you know how to contact us. It's at MeandersPod on Twitter. We hope you all very much enjoy this, and we hope you've had a lovely festive period at home, locked down with your families, and that uh, we've got some bright times to come. Thanks very much, everyone. Happy New Year. So first up, we have Toby Rowe, who is one of the co-founders of Rowe Communications, who specialise in PR for business schools, executive education and higher education establishments and uh, academic individuals. And we asked Toby in this uh, little snippet to summarise what PR actually is and how it can work most effectively in organisations. Yeah, and, and I, th- I think, you know, if, if, to give the one word answer, if, if I'm asked, you know, what is PR, it, it begins with R, but it's reputation. It, it is all about reputation. And I think Sally mentioned uh, alignment and, and I think that's absolutely key. Um, when you've got PR with other Marcom's activities, everything's got to be aligned. Not, in fact, not just the Marcom's activities, but everything within the organization should be aligned. Because I think one of the problems I see often in PR is that um, an organization will want to be seen as X, but actually in operational terms what the business is doing is why and that's when you start to get into this horrible sort of you know territory of all it's just spin because actually you're, you're saying something that in reality is simply not true so alignment is is, is absolutely key um when when you're when you're doing this and i think the other thing i would say about pr and, and reputation it's for me it's really about building a reputation and building an environment that is positive 
and benevolent to, to your organization so you can carry out your activities, whatever they may be, in a, a more fruitful way. It, it really, it, it's, it's a very much, a, it's a long-term activity. It takes a long t- time to, you know, build up a reputation. Of course, there's the cliche that, you know, you can, you can lose it incredibly quickly. So I think it does work in concert with other things like marketing, but it, it importantly has to work in concert and be very aligned to what the organization is, is doing, because otherwise, you know, it, it, it's simply seen as spin. Mm. I think that's really interesting to look at it as um, long term, Toby, because I think a lot of people think of PR as really, really short term. I've just got to get this press release out to a newspaper. They then write a piece and then I move on to the next thing. So to think of it as a long term reputation um, building exercise is really is a very interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I think I think it is. And I, I'm you know, a passionate believer in it. it is something you need to invest time and, and resources in to build. I think the other point that is interesting as well is I think one of the other things that I often say to people is that media relations and talking to journalists and, and as you say, sending out press releases is absolutely an integral part of, of PR, but it, but it is only just one part. And I think we're back to this terminology again. And I think, yeah. you know, sometimes people think PR almost equals press release or press relations. Mm. Is that, you know, that if we go back to the ap- absolute term is public relations so it's very much building your reputation externally publicly um but also you know in, in a focus way because you want to be building that reputation and focusing your reputational efforts on those audiences that you are most trying to build relationships with and, and, and trying to influence mm-hmm. yeah and, and and in terms of when you're starting out with um say a brand new client or someone who's perhaps not engaged in PR activities previously just fascinated to know a bit about your without giving away too much of the game but you know your process about how you would go into actually trying to assess what reputation they existing reputation they have and then how you want to enhance and build on that how, how do you go about looking at that to, to begin to begin with it's, it's a good question so I think it very much for me it's a balance between the internal and the external um, and th- this comes on to sort of ha- how to successfully work with organizations because often the impressions and expectations internally can be very different to the impressions and and expectations externally so it's important i think when you're working with any organization regarding you know higher education or anywhere to, to really understand about how the organization internally sees itself and how externally the organization is viewed whether that's through customers partners, suppliers, uh, the media. I think that's a, that's a critical first uh, step. And, and then it, it's really also, I mentioned expectations, it's about looking at expectations as well. What, what is it you are actually trying to achieve? Oh, it could be, well, we, we want to, you know, raise our profile. Okay, but, you know, what, what, what does that mean? Um, and, and where do you want to raise your profile and with whom and what, and, and if you can raise your profile and awareness with this particular group, what do you want that group to then do as a result of that? And so it, it, a sort of short answer, I would say, it's before you do any activity, you've got to really invest in understanding, um, you know, A, how you're seen internally or how you feel internally and B, how you're seen externally. And more than that, go really into detail and have some very, very closely defined 
objectives and what what you were trying to do because too often for me when I first have conversations with clients it's quite broad um, I mean the classic is from a media relations standpoint we want to be in the FT um, well what why do you want to be in the FT um, to be honest I, I, I mean I, I jest slightly but if I had a pound for every time someone had said that to me I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing um, so it's really being about specific and targeted and focused. What, what is it you are actually trying to do? In this next snippet, we have James Holden, who is the founder of Wolf Productions, who make bespoke websites for all sorts of organisations and small businesses, larger businesses, projects, you name it. James has got 20 years of experience running his organisation, and uh, he knows everything about websites that you could want to know. So in this snippet, we asked James, why do we actually need a website in the first place? And then also, how can you actually test how effective your web presence is for your target audience? why should be a question you ask for every area of your business anyway um, and get clarity uh, on on why you're doing anything that you're doing because then if you if you follow your passion I will answer the question in a second if you follow your passion in what you're doing it all just falls into place and doesn't feel like work Um, but yeah why should you have a website Uh, very good question Um, it's the only freehold you have on the internet so every every other platform, every other channel to market, uh, you know, your Facebooks, YouTube, um, Twitter, Instagram, it's all great stuff. But every single profile you have on those platforms are leasehold. You're within the terms of conditions of a uh, of a big corporate company. Mm. They can do and will continually change the goalposts. So if you build your entire business model. Uh, from an online point of view or online presence around those platforms and uh, think, well, I don't need a website because I can engage directly on Twitter and I can get someone off Twitter and onto a phone call. Yes, you can do that. Yes, you can do that on Facebook, but you can't automatically follow up and nurture properly without building a list. You know, a lot of people say, you know, from a business point of view, the money's in the list. Well, I say, I agree with that to a point. The money's in the relationship you build with your list and you quite simply can't build a list properly without having your own website and a lot of people so so in answer to the question control your website is your only freehold on the internet everything else is leasehold and the way i the way i think you should consider it is from an from an from analogy point of view when you're on other platforms like you know Twitter and Facebook, you're walking around the shopping center with your leaflets. Your leaflet has the detail um, of where your shop is and your shop is your website. And that's your freehold. That's the bit you have more control over than just the leaflet. So um, yeah, control in answer to the question. Um, yeah. Putting yourselves in the shoes of your ideal client would you engage? Would you buy? Would you call? Would you email based on what you're looking at? Um, and it's very much about putting yourselves in the shoes of a, of a, of a client. There's, there's so many websites that are all about the company behind the website. And quite frankly, no one cares. What they care about is, does what this company do or know benefit me? 
And that is what should be coming across in your copy, in your message, so that when someone lands on that landing page, lands on that story page, lands on whatever page you sent them to, they go, oh, that's a benefit to me. That's interesting. Um, yes, that makes me want to, to, to contact them rather than, you know, oh, look, they've done this. They've done that. They've won this. Oh, good for them. You know what I mean? It does, and, and, and people want to know what's in it for me. Yep. Uh, and that's how they will decide whether to begin to engage with you on any level is, is they can see what's in it for them. Yep. Um, so put, yeah, in answer to the question, put yourself in the shoes of your client or your ideal client and say, if I landed on this website and I was looking for, and I was targeted and I was looking for what I offer, would I buy from that? And if not, why not? What's putting me off about that copy? And if you, if you, yeah, if you put yourself in your customer's shoes, yep. that's, that's the key. It might also be a really good idea if you're starting this up to find a trial customer to actually get to do that for you. Because you, as you said before, you're too close to it and you need to Absolutely. ask your mate a few yeah. questions. Can you do X, Y, Z? How do you feel about this? Have, have beta testers as well. Yep. You know, have Absolutely. That, my dad, love my dad to bits, absolute legend. Um, he is the best beta tester ever. He's 81. Uh, if I've built a website about something, I will literally just send him a link to the website that I've just finished building and say, Dad, go to this website for me and, and, then, and then come back and tell me what it's all about. Perfect. Brilliant beta tester because he is, you know, he is the type of person that will say, well, why have they put the start button down there? I don't want the start button down there. I'm like, Dad, I don't have a, I don't have a direct line to Bill Gates. It's just how it is. Um, <laughs> you know uh it, yeah so brilliant from a user experience point of view if if my dad can navigate it and find what he needs to know um can. most other people will as well next we have hugo pickering who is a marketing communications strategy consultant and he's experienced in a number of different areas of marketing but in particular his expertise in, in analytics is what we want to talk to Hugo about and in this snippet Hugo gives us an outline of projects which he particularly enjoys and why and also he lets us know who does customer user journey analysis really well and who is actually um, enhancing and making the most optimizing their customer user journeys out there in the market and and what this looks like so hopefully you enjoy this as well when you work with people what makes you think oh this is going to be really exciting i'm really interested in this this is going to be thrilling <laughs> a client that says we really don't know what we're doing Okay, <laughs> no, that's excellent. <laughs> but we want to do such and such. <laughs> no, that makes um, a lot of sense. Yeah, well, it 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 means you've got um you you've got a clear run at it, um, and you're not trying to um, unpick something that they've been told a million times by an agency who may or may not know what they've been doing, or uh, an individual who's taken it on and hasn't delivered, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. Good example of that. I'm not going to name any names, obviously, but um, <laughs> uh, a, um, a friend of mine who runs a business um, had employed a SEO and on yeah, so more SEO consultancy, and um, they had been delivering reporting for quite some time. And he asked me to just come in and have a look at it, and I um, sat down and 
looked at the reports that he was getting. And it's like you said, Stanley, about um, you know, just getting a raft of information and data that you really don't know what it is you're looking at. And, um, and we just sat there for half an hour, all looking at the same information. It's quite a few pages of it. And, uh, and then I said, okay, so what, what do you make of this? What, uh, well, it looks great, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we've got this many views and, uh, and that many um, hits and uh, we know what we're, what, where, where the traffic's coming from, right? So, so what? Well, that tells us that we're doing all right. I don't think we're getting this analytics thing, are we? <laughs> let's, let's look at why we're doing it. Why are you spending 500 pounds a month just on analyzing or just on a report that gives you 10 pages of data? You haven't got any information that allows you to make a decision that gives you um, some kind of understanding of your customers and thereby how you might modify your marketing to, uh, to meet their needs. And, and it was basically unpicking a lot of that, which isn't so easy because, of course, you know, the, the agency feels that they're being they're under the cosh. Um, uh, needless to say, they were fired after a short while. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Um, well, that so, sums up the critical difference between data and insight, doesn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. Or understanding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, data is data can 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 just be the worst thing if you're piling data on somebody. Uh, as I said before, you know, the, the marketing manager might feel that he's getting biggest bang for his buck because he's getting uh, 500 pages of, of data, but he's not getting any benefit from it. Yeah, that's right. And it's actually, he's wasting everyone's time, energy and money. And the fact yeah. that it looks very nice at the end of their marketing report is possibly the worst possible conclusion for all that money spend, spent. Yes, yes, absolutely. It doesn't, uh, doesn't inform. The best people at um, analysing user journey and uh, and the whole life cycle of a uh, of a customer acquisition through to um, uh, in this instance donations is our charities um, who understand all these generally the uh, the more competent uh, charities um, are either advised well or um, or have a greater understanding of of the need to understand that user journey and you know a donor you've only got one chance to generally only got one chance to um, to attract them to retain them and to get their donation from them mm. um, unless you've already uh, got a relationship with that individual so if you've acquired a customer uh, uh, let's call them a customer um, if you've acquired a customer from uh, social media you want to hang on to that customer to make sure that they become a supporter or a fundraiser uh, or a donor so you know th those are the three categories of uh, of people that you want to look after in a uh, in a charity um, uh, fundraising situation. Um, you want somebody to support by going out and raising funds. You want somebody to donate by giving you the money um, to to keep the charity going, or you want uh, somebody to be a fundraiser to get other people to, um, uh, to 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 raise funds to support them. So there are different opportunities, and it's about ensuring that you not only maximize the visibility to acquire that customer, um, but also ensure that you see that customer right the way through that journey from the acquisition on Facebook because they saw somebody's um, uh, triathlon that they were supporting um, and they decided they wanted to support that charity. If the user journey isn't easy and, and it isn't um, 
a, a nice easy journey right the way through, then you're going to have lost that potential uh, donor, supporter or fundraiser. So it's really critical for um, charities to ensure that that is um, managed all the way through. And they probably, probably the best as a cohort um, at looking at the user journey as the most valuable piece of information within the uh, within the data that they get so whether they're looking at um, Facebook um, to see who the individual is which obviously you can because you've got um, you've got more access to individual um, user identity than you have within your Google Analytics um, but then following through the journey and seeing that somebody has donated you've then got the opportunity to um, through their website through the website for instance you've then got the opportunity to get back to that individual and um, and use the analytics to then track back to find out what that user journey was and then aggregate that across the uh, the rest of the user journeys and uh, and work out um, what's working what's not working um, how best to optimize and how best to um, uh, to link your uh, social media channels much more effectively with the website We then have Emma Wyatt, who's a very specialist LinkedIn consultant, and she helps organizations and individuals enhance their LinkedIn presence and get the most out of their LinkedIn strategy. And in this answer, we asked Emma to outline where she would start with your LinkedIn profile and what will make it work well um, for you and, and for your goals that you have on LinkedIn. If you're not sure where to start with your profile, there's three things that I would do. Um, one is make sure your headline is really clear and to the point. Take a good look on the platform at other people's headlines. You don't always just have to put a job title. Sometimes you do because that's the industry you work within and that's how that industry works. You're the expert on your industry and where you work. So you'll know what's best to have there. But the clearer you can be, the easier it is for the person to click connect. Um, the second thing is you need a profile photo and you need it visible to all LinkedIn members. Now, depending on which interface design you've got, it either says all LinkedIn members or public. Um, so what's the difference? I don't think there is any. So I used to have public when I had the blue interface and now I've got the white interface. It just says to all LinkedIn okay. members and that's so, um, yeah. And that means that when someone's searching for you, they can see your profile photo. Um, and people like to see you. They like to see your eyes, it, what attracts them to you. Because um, if you only, if you restrict your profile photo to only be your first or second connections, those people who are searching for you, you they just get a grey box. Which yeah, it's not friendly, is generally it? Generally, they won't um, click connect. Yeah, so it'll be like going to a networking meeting with a bag over your head. It's not the wisest thing yeah. in the world to do. <laughs> that's it and the other thing is um which is very much an underutilized area is um think about including a cover photo on your profile as well otherwise you just get um on the blue version a blue background and on the new white version it's a green background okay. and that's just empty space if you don't use it yep if you want any inspiration take a look at my profile um i've got all of those three things there <laughs> Just remember when you've 
put all those features there is check how it displays on all different devices. So check how it looks on a desktop, how it looks on a mobile, an iPad if you've got access to one, just because you, that profile photo moves. So what you want to make sure is that the profile photo doesn't cover your writing that you've put on your banner when you look at it through a mobile. I must go away and do that actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's it is so important, isn't it? Because I remember it's the first thing that I, I, whenever I talk to people about it, I mean, having been a reasonably avid, you know, fan and, and user of LinkedIn for a number of years, I mean, it's one of the things they sort of say, oh, what's the first thing you should do? I remember someone said to me a number of years ago about, yeah, put your picture on. Because, yeah. I mean, that whole sort of, you know, I describe it as online real estate, you know, you're just throwing away some online real estate. And also it just makes, I immediately have this sort of, I suppose, this instinctive sort of human reaction. You look at someone's profile and you've got a name and you've got a not very well constructed you know um title and then you've no picture and no picture it just makes it feel uh, well not not human and it makes it feel not not right and you just immediately get put off don't you as you say and it's just those red sound like relatively simple things but i mean it's interesting i mean my you may i don't know if you see my profile or not but my, my profile i always seem to put sort of uh shots photos which i take uh, when i go for walks and stuff and 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 uh you know sort of countryside views and things which has got nothing to do with marketing but it's also have that my website but it's just something that means something to me and it's important to me and a, a part of it yes it's my professional profile yes but also i just find that i wanted something on there which kind of helps kind of describe a bit around my personality and who i am as well which i suppose there's that balance but w would you say um, you know where that balance should be because you say there's there's definitely a space there to to put the wording onto your 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 profile mm. background photo as well. But I suppose it depends on who you are and and, and what you fancy including in there. But I don't know if yeah, you're no, absolutely, because that definitely goes to the point of being authentic on LinkedIn so that people can get to know you. So yeah, I never um, say to someone, oh no, you shouldn't do that. Or, oh yes, you should do that. It's whatever you feel comfortable in doing. And also that balance moves over into if you decide you're gonna post on LinkedIn, I think that balance moves over to, to that as well. So it's why when I work with my clients that the strategy is so key and working out what goal or objective you want to achieve, whether you're looking at that over the next year or the next quarter or the next month, because those the goals can be movable. Um, and Should then, be movable. Hmm, yeah, and it's about then using the content to achieve that goal. And where you have the most impact is having the right strategy and approach to LinkedIn um, and actually done I guess done the thinking in advance so sometimes I say set up your profile and then take a moment to think about what it is you now want to do because I've had people then um, who I've worked with they've we've set up the profile we've made it look good and then they're like oh okay that's great so when someone wants a meeting with me they can look up my LinkedIn I look good and that's great but actually the whole of their business then happens offside of LinkedIn um, and that's what they needed LinkedIn to do. Whereas other people I've worked with need to then um, get that momentum from the content they share, build those relationships online and then get the meeting further down the line. So it's a much longer journey and how they then use LinkedIn wisely so that they're not on there 24 hours a day to actually achieve their goals.
the next snippet is from Amanda Claysons, who was our very first interviewee, and we are very um, privileged and uh, happy to have Amanda talk to us um, a few months ago now. And we talked about her market research. Amanda does market research for all sorts of organisations and uh, gives them an awful lot of analysis and understanding of uh, how to make new marketing decisions and decisions in other areas of their business. And in this little extract, we speak to um, Amanda about market research trends, what to look out for and how to interpret those trends and make some decisions on the back of them. Yeah, I mean, how much time does it take to actually um, set a trend that you can actually rely on? So this genuinely is a trend. It's not just lots of little snapshots. It, it's going to depend on what your product is and how fast moving your market is. But yeah. I would say, so if I'm, if I'm doing an annual employee engagement study, so let's assume we haven't got COVID in our lives. Um, so if we did the study in year one, You'd look at year two and you can see what's changed. Year three, you then go, right, okay. So is that is that a trend always on the up? Is it fairly stable? And so by year three to four, you can kind of see, okay, a pattern is starting to emerge. Yeah, that's right. Because I know that I was, obviously I was terribly excited when I found on on um, Excel that you can set a trend line for a graph. That's very thrilling. <laughs> but it's very easy, I think, probably if you don't understand it properly, to set that trend line and actually the only the data you're looking at is six weeks hmm. that's yeah. not a trend and you haven't got the whole three years yeah. beforehand when it was doing this yeah that's right yeah yeah so it's kind of looking at the, at the whole picture and saying what's relevant for me do i want to look at just these last three weeks because i know something was happening and you know we're on the up and spent a million pounds on our new campaign or is it actually i need to go back five years because we've been doing the same thing forever mm. and this massive dip that's going on here in the grand scheme of things might not really matter that's right. So you do need to be quite careful about when you're doing market research. It's to the remem- you have to remember really closely that this is a snapshot. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's very tempting to think, oh, everyone thinks this. Yeah, everyone thinks this. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Everyone wants my product. But actually what you're doing is a snapshot at that moment in time. Yeah. You, could, you could be confident enough that everyone really does want that if you've spoken to enough people. Um, but, yeah, it still only will be at that moment in time. That's right. And, it is a, and how, I mean, when you're doing the research, how on earth do you choose who you're going to question? Depends what you want to ask them. Oh. So um, let's take your handbags again. So you want to know if people want to buy your goo. So first of all, you'd go to people who bought your handbags in the past. So no point going to someone who bought your handbag yesterday because it's still shiny. Go back to people who bought your handbag a year ago, ask them, see what they think. If they're thinking, oh, yeah, it's a good idea, go back to people who bought it 18 months ago. Okay. Are they still wanting it? You could find that if we go back to two years ago, they've already bought the goo, they found it from someone else. So they, they're going to need a different marketing campaign because they need to be taken away from the competitor. Um, you could then go to people who haven't even bought a handbag from you and say, look at my lovely handbags. They come with special goo so it's thinking about what what you want to find out and okay. then you can find what audience is most relevant because That's what you don't want to go do is ask your three mate best mates who bought your handbag they'll say yeah i'd love to buy your goo and then you go oh brilliant everyone wants to buy my goo yeah because i think that's a real danger if you don't get a professional to do it that you're asking people who you know are going to say a certain answer yeah because yeah. that's very tempting. even even if they say I'm not even they say, yeah, I'll be completely honest. 
your friends and your colleagues are not going to say to your face, that shit. <laughs> they just won't. Yeah. Well, so, well, they might, but you probably won't ask those ones. No. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> you've got your own bias going on yeah. and you'll, you'll have projected what you want them to say to them. And next we have Barry Clark, who is the Managing Director of Dunedin Consultancy, which focuses on the hospitality and retail sectors. And Barry has a, a sales background and helps uh, organisations to make the most of their sales performance and looks at other areas of the business and how they integrate into um, sales teams as well. Um, so he's got a lot, of, a lot of management experience, a lot of experience of working at the board level as well. And uh, in this extract, we spoke to him about, in particular, sales conferences, but also who else should be at sales conferences and which other teams should be connecting into what the sales force is actually doing so enjoy so who else should go to a sales conference apart from all these lovely reps mm, great question great question sally um, <clears throat> you know for me any sales conference any any company event is the opportunity to get differing opinions to get different um, functions within the organization together and yeah, we've already mentioned a couple of times how isolating the sales team can be sometimes. Um, they can be isolated by others in the organisation, but they can be quite isolating of themselves as well. Um, you know, the real, the real benefit is when you bring all of that together. Um, some of the most successful events have been where I've seen operations people and especially marketing people yeah. brought together. Really, when you bring the ops people, the marketing people and the sales force together, in a safe, open environment where they can share views and opinions. Um, I mean, in, in your experience, you've probably encountered the same thing where marketing sales are often pitched against each other. Yep. They're often used as the convenient excuse when something's not going right. Oh, well, it's the sales guys don't know how to sell it. Yep. The sales team, our marketing keeps giving us all these duff messages <clears throat> that the customers don't understand. Yeah. Imagine if you bring those conversations together. Exactly. I mean, it should be the prime time for the marketing people to actually sit down with the salesperson and say, we think the customer looks like this. Mm. Are we right? Is that what they're looking for? Is no. When no. you talk to them, is that what they're saying? And for the yeah. salespeople to say, well, yeah, this bit of this catalogue's nearly right, but actually we need it to be smaller or we want it to have this thing at the beginning, not that thing at the end, or the mm. posters need to be... 10 times bigger or we don't need posters at all we never use them all of that kind of conversation has to happen all the time and what a sales conference ought to do is make um marketeers and sales reps be able to talk to each other outside the conference so that you can actually maybe do that mad thing and just phone a rep up how strange would that be Oh, too scary for words, but it's what it's what the relationship should be building inside the yep. sales conference. Yep. And as you say, you, you're so right with getting the operations staff there. The people who people who you never see, and mm. that's the warehouse staff. <laughs> they exist. Do we, do we actually have them? Oh, well, so, well, they're obviously fairies. I mean, we don't really know who does it, but you never see the warehouse stuff and they should be at the sales conference because they're, they're the poor people that have to do all the end bit of the work. Yes. So we marketers have, you know, put together a brilliant plan and marketed it. The reps have shoved it into the retail chain. And then the poor warehouse people 
but the people that have got to actually put these things in a box package it in this weird way you've said it would be packaged in mm. pink paper with blue stars on the outside and then put it in the post and get it to you within three days mm. yep and they've so got to be there so you can talk to them and i mean often I absolutely sympathise with warehouse people. And if they sit there raging, that's a good thing because we need them to rage before the, before the mistake happens. Yeah, yeah. How, <clears throat> how powerful would it be within, it, within any organisation, really, if you had those key critical departments talking to each other? You know, mar you know marketing goes to sales and says, we've got this great idea, this is a new product that that exec wants to bring to market and um, this is what we're thinking about it what do you guys think yep. how do you think the customer base is going to react to this yep instead of sticking it out there right throw it out to market you then get the sales force going around saying well customers don't like it customers don't get it they don't understand it yep but you've already invested time money resource into into producing a campaign by yep. that point it's too late yep And finally, we have Stefan Thomas. And Stefan is a networking specialist who is uh, actually lives quite near me. And uh, we have quite a lot in common, it turns out. And that's part of the, the things that you'll find out about uh, Stefan's approach to networking. He's the best-selling author of Business Networking for Dummies. Um, take a look if you, if you haven't found it. You can find it on any good uh, uh, booksellers lists. And uh, Stefan was uh, very um, good to talk to us about networking, but in particular, we started off with what networking actually is and how do you go about it and how do you sustain relationships within networking and, and derive mutual benefit. Hopefully this will clear up some of those questions for you and we hope you enjoy. What people believe networking means is turning up to a meeting somewhere where there are a lot of besuited business people and and networking, swapping business cards and so on. And, and, and that's right, because that's where Sally and I first met, for example. But networking is bigger than that. We've we've just talked about local pubs, restaurants and, and so on. And just knowing a lot of people who might in future go on to become suppliers, might go on to become customers, might go on to become friends and collaborators, all of that is is networking. So whilst people think about it as as what they do at networking events, it's all the other stuff that that, that we do as well. And and in 2020, as we record this, our opportunity to network with um, things like Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, has has never been bigger. And thank God, because we've been prevented from networking at, at networking events since whatever it was, the middle of March or, or beginning of April. Um, so thank heavens all, all of these other platforms exist to, to help us to network out there as well. So, so networking is not just having an address book, but having an address book of people who you can pick up the phone to and they'll actually take your call. Um, and in the cases of the pubs and restaurants and that sort of thing now, you know, the guys who've spent their time actually getting to know people, spending time on Facebook and, and so on, 
we're inclined to go and support them. The, the people who are actually active in their local community, you feel like you know the business owner. Yeah. Right now they need us. Um, and, you know, we're, we're inclined to support them. That's, that's how networking breaks down for me, even though I'm using the example of, of pubs and restaurants at the moment. It is really interesting because what you say, it's, networking isn't a passive thing, is it? You don't just go up, chip up and give people your business cards. You have to go away afterwards and actually carry on the connection. Don't you? It's not just a, oh, well, once I've networked, that's over. And eventually somebody will phone me up. It's, you've got to do something. Networking is an action, not a, just a sitting there drinking coffee and swapping cards. It's a really circular thing as well, because... Um, if I, if I speak at an event, and I speak at events, that, that's part of what I do, usually the journey we take is, is thinking about when you first meet people at a networking event, and then what you do after that, how, what you do to keep in touch. But, but also, what you do before networking events, so that people have got some idea of who you are when you walk into the room, that's, that's equally as important. And so we, we talk in networking a lot about trust. And, and it's getting to that position of of trust, which is is important. It's it's vital. That position of trust. So, if if I were to to pick up the phone to you, Sally, and say, I've got a new service, and I think you you might be interested in it, I believe that you trust me enough that you would at least listen to to, to so that you could understand. I Rather would. than how so many people approach their marketing, is that they've got a name and address. They've, I've, got business cards down on my desk you know they've got a business card and they simply email you and try and sell you something without without ever really getting to know you and and that to me is a huge missed opportunity most of the time yeah absolutely because they're probably not selling to the right person to start with because they haven't worked at it hard enough and that bad their that bad experience will spread because i might actually talk to some other people and go God, Stefan just keeps phoning me up. He's no idea what I do. I don't just if he phones you, just best to say no. So it, it goes wrong bigger. Yeah, it does. And it's it's almost insulting as well because we've we've got so many opportunities now to get to know the other person. And and most people don't don't use that. And and I think the, the other thing is just just so that, that your listeners are clear. This isn't just getting to know the other person so that you can sell to them. It's getting to know the other person as a human because actually it's a pretty cool thing to do. And and I I know a lot of people now, and there's there's enormous pleasure in that outside of the the business benefits that it gives yep. me as well. So yeah. Hmm. How, how do you think it's changed now we're all online? Because although and now I I can I'm easier to me to meet Scottish people now or you know Australian people but what what other changes does it mean doing it on zoom this um we've been talking about I've been talking about this with with one of my business partners this morning there's no doubt that there's something missing there's no doubt that when when you and I met at the I'm going to say the turnpike I think that's where we met in 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 Oxford um at, at a networking event the the um the body language the other bits and pieces that go on when people meet each other we don't have so much of that now um i'm not moaning about that because this is what we've got um and and, and we, we we need to, to to make the best of it the opportunity as you've just pointed out is that i can network and and have in the last eight months very literally all over the world um i've done networking events in canada 
um, Melbourne, Sydney, India, um, and, and all over the UK, because this enables us to, to do that. I think there are some things that, that we need to think about when we're at virtual networking events. Um, I'm having to remind myself that, that this is a podcast, so I'll, I'll describe it. Um, what, I'm, what I'm doing as I'm talking to you guys now, of course, is that I am focusing my eye contact on the, the little camera in the corner of my device. Um, which rather helpfully for your listeners I'm pointing at. Um, <laughs> but so, so that we sort of synthesize the eye contact that we'd be maintaining if, if we were in a, a real conversation. I'm also, although my, my, my desk is a wee bit messy, um, and a wee bit is, is a huge <laughs> understatement, I'm, I'm also, I think, more prepared with what I'm going to need for virtual networking events. So, for example, I've got a, a pad and a pen next to me so I can quickly jot down someone's name if, if I feel like I want to connect to them. Um, I, I've got my um, networking events, you often have to do a 60 or 40 second introduction and doing it by Zoom, you've got the opportunity to, to put that a text version of that in the chat box as well. So I've always got that typed out and ready to copy and paste. I, I think the, the biggest change comes in putting a bit more effort in getting to know people afterwards. Um, if, if, I, I was talking about this this morning. When, when you and I met, Sally, we were able to have a chat. When, when you go to a virtual networking event now on Zoom, you pretty much do your 60 seconds or 40 seconds. You might have a one-to-one -one with someone and, and then the meeting ends. You don't have that 15 minutes before chatting whilst you look for the coffee chatting whilst you talk about how you got there and so on I, I think we've, we've we've lost some of that and therefore we need to make sure that we make time to do that bit afterwards with people Well, folks, that just about wraps it up. That's everything we've got for this special Marketing Meanders Christmas compilation edition. And uh, we hope you've got some interesting insights out of those. If you would like to listen to any of the full episodes, most of them are, in fact, I think all of them are two-parters. So you can uh, come back to our Marketing Meanders, find it on any good podcast provider, and you can check out all those episodes in depth. We will have links to the main episodes in the description of, of this episode. And once again, really, we just wanted to thank everyone for listening this year 2020 and as we wave 2020 goodbye into the sunset when we look forward optimistically to 2021 we hope you'll be able to join us for many more marketing meanders on interesting marketing topics in the months and, and hopefully years to come so from us to you happy new year bye for now